Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 269 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 29th, 2013. We've got a great show for you talking all about the USC, former USC football players being selected in the NFL draft. We've got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on. We're going to talk about that. We a question on the Todd McNair case, what's going on there. So we get, we get a little rant going on about that. We're going to talk to Coach Harvey Hyde in the very first segment. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call us at 206-888-6755. And you can even go to parastylepodcast.com, click on the left side of the page, and leave us a voicemail there. Lots of ways to get a hold of us uh, during the offseason. Send in your questions, and we will be happy to answer them here on the show. Without further ado, let's get to Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Ryan, it's a beautiful day, and here we go uh, with another week of uh, sports. The draft is done. Most of the spring practices, at least in Southern California, are over. Had a chance to go to UCLA spring practice on Saturday night, see a lot of people, talk to them, observe them. And uh, I guess you call this the off-season if there is an off-season <laughs> anymore in college football or the NFL. NFL, of course, many camps going on, and You've got summer uh, workouts already up on your uh, website, so uh, we're rolling towards the season. Certainly are rolling, yeah. We'll be uh, out there this week watching USC throw the football around. Uh, but before we get to all that, we're going to more. We've got a lot to get to. Uh, Southern California Tickets has been our sponsor for years and years. We really appreciate them. SCTickets.com or call them at 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, you can always give them a call, not just here in L.A., but across the country, and uh, Coach, four Trojans, former Trojans, former Trojan football players, I guess they're still Trojans, but former fo- Trojan football players selected in the NFL draft over the weekend. Also, um, that I've seen, uh, four other players signed free agent contracts, so some guys moving on going to be trying to make uh, football teams. What were your thoughts overall of seeing the, uh, the draft play out like it did over those three days? Well, if you're talking about the overall draft, I think it was heavy on offense and defensive linemen. I think it was a great draft for that. I think last year was a great draft for quarterbacks, and I think for quarterbacks it was something that people were afraid of this year because uh, they didn't think anybody could duplicate what happened in last year's draft with quarterbacks as far as those type of quarterbacks coming out and how they played and contributed immediately to their NFL team. So I think people this year at the quarterback position where we're very, very careful as far as not making making a mistake because there are other great players that they could put on their roster that could help them in certain positions and in some to the point of where they just needed one or two to put make them a real contender and some they wanted to trade, trade down and, and get two or three picks, which a lot of people have done. 
So I think overall, depending on when you look at your draft and you depend what team you like, you can evaluate it that way. Uh, as far as USC's players were concerned, I think it was a disappointing year as far as their seniors. And, and of course, Woods came out early as far as where they went in the draft. Uh, I think everyone expected, or at least uh, uh, Matt Barkley expected, to go higher. I wasn't really surprised that he wasn't taken in the first round. I was somewhat surprised he wasn't taken in the second round. I was really surprised that he went as far as the fourth round. Yeah. So, and I was really surprised on who he went to. Yes. <laughs> when, when, when you consider going to Chip Kelly, and here he is now with Dennis Dixon, here he is with Michael Vick, here he is with Nick Foles. All of these quarterbacks are very athletic and can run. Foles is really, it really actually did a pretty good job last year in playing uh, when Vic got hurt. I was surprised they would take him, and they even traded up to take get him because he doesn't really fit the schemes that Chip Kelly runs. So I, I'm not quite sure what plan he has. And he says it's open to everybody. I think Matt's going in there with a good attitude, saying I'm going to compete, and he says that the position's over, open. But I just don't know how open it is, depending on what offense he runs. So I'm sort of mixed on that, on just how he fits in there with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. So, you know, it, it, it's a very difficult situation on that. T.J. McDonald, uh, real hitter, uh, but didn't cover as well as what probably a lot of the NFL scouts thought, went about where I thought he'd go. Uh, Khalid Holmes went about where I thought he would go. And this is just my evaluation. Of course, others have their evaluations. Uh, Robert Woods, great player. I think he'll have a great year. I think he'll be a great pro. But he suffered through last season after having a a tremendous season uh, his first year. And he he suffered through it. I mean, uh, there are a lot of questions on his health, his ankle. He got beat up so much as a freshman that it was really hard for him uh, to predict how good he's going to be. That's why I'm so concerned next year on Marquise Lee on if he still returns punts and kickoffs and catches the ball as many times as he caught the ball and they don't spread it around to the other athletes. But I think Woods is a great athlete, and I think he'll be a great pro. Now, as far as the free agents, Ryan, I really don't know who signed where. I can, I can go over. like So the, what I've found so far, and I, I've – if I miss someone, you can email us and let us know. Um, Nikel Roby, probably the, the main guy that a lot of people thought would get drafted that did not. He ended up signing with the Buffalo Bills, so he'll be there with uh, Robert Woods. Um, uh, Curtis McNeil, I thought he had a chance to get drafted, but he got signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, so that should be interesting. I don't know if they really had like a, a back like him in there. We'll see what, what they do, if, if he's able to you know, make the team or not. Uh, Jawanza Starling. Uh, signed with the Houston Texans, and uh, Wes Horton signed with the Carolina Panthers. So uh, a couple of defensive players there. Um, I did not see – I thought Drew McAllister, who had a great pro day, and I think he he, he kind of uh, turned some heads. I thought he – you know, the, some of the numbers he put up, he got people's attention. I thought he would sign somewhere. I haven't been able to find any information on him signing yet. I was uh, working all day yesterday at uh, this passing league tournament, and I just – you know, haven't been able to, I didn't find anything else. I didn't look super hard, but 
Um, and Tony Burnett, Kyle Negretti, a couple other guys, they, they have not signed as far as I've seen yet. So that's kind of a, a rundown. Boat Roby to the Bills, McNeil to the Steelers, Starling to the Texans, and Wes Horton to the Panthers. You know, I wish Roby would have uh, stayed another year. He reminds me of Chris Hale. I don't know how many of you guys remember Chris Hale who played for the Trojans. He was drafted, too, by I think Buffalo took him or someone. He had a great Rose Bowl game, and I told I can't remember who the player personnel was there, uh, director, and I said, hey, you take this kid. This kid's going to play. And uh, I think if Roby would have stayed in another year, I think, and, and also the coaches need corners so bad that he'd have been able to uh, go a little higher. But sometimes kids uh, want to come out early. Uh, they don't want to stay. And uh, you have to, you know, you can't look back once you make that decision. And he decided to do that. Now, I'm not saying he won't make it, but uh, I hope he does. And it's always better to sometimes not get drafted in the final round, seventh round, because now you can select where they really need your position. And I think that's what these kids did. Um, as far as coming out early, that was one of the big topics, I guess you could say, Coach, that Matt Barkley really hurt himself by not coming out early. He would have been a top-ten pick or whatever, um, you know, last year, which I don't I – don't, I don't think that would have happened. They said the same thing, that Liner would be the number one pick. I think people get caught up in that, and they say that early, but that doesn't – usually by the time the draft rolls around and you go through the combine and all that stuff, things kind of settle themselves out, and it gets to be a little bit closer to where the you know the player would actually go. But for Nikel Roby, he came out early, and that didn't <laughs> help him at all. I mean, where do you stand on this as far as coming out early, not coming out early? People kind of argue both sides of this. Well, I've never been in favor of coming out early. I, I've always felt that it, once you commit and once you say you're going to a university, that university has made an investment in you. And they've spent, say, $150,000 on your education. And when you're supposed to come back for your senior year, all of a sudden you decide to come out. I think there should be more rigid restrictions on that. Now, uh, I know that legally you can't stop it and all the reasons why they can do it and all this and that. I don't want to get into that. But, you know, you could always put something in that if you decide to leave early, you got to pay back the university all the money that uh, they spent on you for an education. Then you have to give it another second thought. Uh, wait a minute. Is it really the best for me? Because I'm going to owe USC $150,000. I think that I I just don't like to see players come out early. I think all of a sudden they're thinking more of their NFL career than they are playing college football and representing their university. And stats become involved. And morale gets involved because I'm not catching the ball. I'm not getting stats. I'm supposed to go out, come out early. It's costing me now another year of education, or another year of eligibility when I could be making a million dollars a year. Uh, I just, I'm not in favor of it. But again, legally, you can't stop it. I think it all started with Ironwood. Ironwood, or what was his name? Hayward. Remember that? Yeah. He was the first one out of Pitt where it all started. Uh, but you know, kids got to make their decisions. But I think there'd be some, there should be some type of payback. Now, if you're a parent out there. And one of your kids come out early or has come out, you probably think, I'm a jerk saying that. But I, I would like to see it be more of a, hey, this isn't a minor league USC, yet 
you know, these kids leave when you're supposed to have them their best year. You tutor them to bring them along to to obviously get degrees, but to win football games too. And uh, I think there should be more to it than just I'll see you later type of thing. Um, all right. Well, we talked about the NFL draft, players moving on. We're going to talk about the current USC football team a little bit as well. Um, Theo had a couple of questions that he had sent in, and they're kind of similar, but I wanted to kind of read you both of them. He, I think he likes defensive linemen in this new scheme. He says, what do you think about moving some of Anuku to defensive end? He has a terrific burst. He's fast, low center of gravity, and could develop great leverage. Jaleel Pinner's doing good at fullback, and with Charles Burks backing him up, it should be fine. Uh, so we'll start with that one. What about Soma Vanuku moving and playing defensive end? Well, uh, you know, he, he could be a defensive player. He's played defense before. But, see, I'm not sure. See, the fullbacks at USC are used more. I, I, I don't believe they use him as a running back. Uh, they're more of a receiver and uh, a blocking back occasionally. They never carry the football. So you've got to evaluate what they use a fullback for at USC. Uh, yes, I, he could play defensive end. He could play linebacker. Uh, Penner, of course, uh, nice kid, good fullback, too small, uh, too slow to be a tailback. Uh, I mean, see, I'm confused when you ask me that question because I can't, I've never figured out what USC does with their fullbacks. <laughs> okay. Like, why have it there? Yeah, Yeah. why? I'd rather see two running backs, a two-back yeah. set, Madden and Davis, uh, like in the spring or somebody, or somebody that can run the ball as well as catch the ball and block. Madden's a great athlete. He can block. It's the amount of times they run the football, how much do you ask him to block? And I think your fullback should carry the football. How do you keep your defense honest? I mean, quick traps, draws, lead draws, all these different types of actions that you can do with a back or just go with a one back set with a tight end or an H back replay two tight ends and run that offense and have a real receiver in the game and a kid that can block two and eliminate the fullback. Uh, I just see, I'm confused on the offense uh, philosophy. Uh, I'm not convinced yet that USC wants to run the football. I have to see it in the fall. I haven't seen it. When I watch your tapes of the summer workouts, all I see is seven on seven <laughs> and pass. Right. <laughs> Why don't I see them reviewing the running game, handing off, play action pass, running the football, lead blocking, uh, all of this stuff? I, I, I don't know against uh, shields or bags. And maybe if you can't have shields and bags out there, have movable bodies where backs can read the blocks and whatever. And the guys can get off the football. And you can utilize your offensive line in these drills. I don't know. I, and I noticed that in high school camps. You and I talked about it before we went on the yeah. air. All there are passing league camps, passing league, passing league, passing league. What happens to the run? Where's the run? Yeah. Where's the run? I mean, as far as camps, if I wanted to get into the camp business, I'd have a offensive back, offensive line running camp. 
You know, we'd work on the run. We'd work off getting off the football. We'd hit the sled. We'd do all kinds of things that make you an aggressive offensive football player, not a passive one, which is pass blocking. You lean out or jerk or or do any of that in the passing game or try to strike a blow, you fall down and they go by you. So, uh, you know, this this is the thing I'm concerned with, with about that question. I'm sorry I couldn't answer your question completely, but I'm trying to answer it honestly when I talk about it. The two points from that, Coach. One, on moving some of Anuku. I'm, I'm your better evaluator of talent than I am. I wouldn't know if he would play well there or not, but I don't think – that that's something that Lane Kiffin would do. I mean, Charles Burks was playing defensive end, and because there was uh, only two fullbacks and some of Vanuka got hurt, so he wasn't practicing the rest of spring, they moved Charles Burks over. So I think when Vanuka gets healthy, they probably will move Charles Burks back to defensive end. That's my guess, but I think that they wouldn't move. I don't think they'd keep Burks there if they feel he's out of position and then move some of Anuka to defensive end and put him out of position as well. I, I just don't see that happening. I mean, certainly possible, but probably not. And then on the the running practice during the seven-on-seven workout, so um, once spring ball, you know, between fall camp, you know, the season and, and spring football and between spring football and fall camp, the players will go through their own workouts. Coaches can't be there. They do their own thing. Um, they usually come in with some kind of script. It's been a little... I think it started off slow uh, because Matt Barkley had been running it for four years and, um, you know, he knew exactly what was going on. So the winter workouts uh, leading up to spring football weren't that well organized just because I think there was a lot of changes on the staff. You had, you know, young quarterbacks kind of running the show. But they got started fairly early, I would say, for the, you know, they started this last week doing the summer workouts. A lot of times they wait until after... uh, uh, graduation and things like that. And the only workout that I've been to so far, they just did, like you said, they only had seven on seven. They brought in the defensive ends a little bit, you know, because of the different front. Um, but they didn't have offensive linemen there, maybe a guy to help snap, things like that. Uh, but they have done, it depends what's going on, but they have had practices where all the linemen come out as well, at least in the past. They didn't, you know, that like I said this last week. So they will go through running plays and, um, I mean, they're not like tackling or anything like that, but it's it's. I think the linemen kind of get you know run wherever they're supposed to be if they're blocking down here or over there, pulling whatever they got to do. I think they're doing what they have to do. The front, the defensive front moves in what they have to do, kind of get engaged in the blocks, and the running back tries to find a hole and goes through. So they have done that, coach. They're not, they didn't. They don't abandon that totally. It's just the last last week when we shot video, they didn't have any linemen there. All right, I just wondering on that too. I, I just think that if you're going to be a complete football team, you work on everything. And you know, going out in the field and throwing the football around is, I think, great. But I think also getting in the weight room and getting stronger and bigger and rehabbing and just miss a football, I think, is good. I remember there was a period of times I just told my kids, "Hey, you're not going on the field," and they said, "Why?" Because I think you should be in the weight room getting stronger and bigger and being closer together with the entire team and they're working out rather than me out there fooling around on the field. And there's always a chance you getting hurt on the field. There's always a chance of you getting hurt on the field doing that. So I used to be really careful on that. And as we've talked about it before, more players get hurt in these type of drills or non-contact drills than full scrimmage drills or game drills. Uh, so uh, 
Now, not just me, and that's I'm maybe the old-fashioned type of guy that says, I want to be bigger and stronger than you, too. I have great athletes, <laughs> and I want to be able to kick your butt. And I want to be able to get in the trenches and kick your butt there, too. And uh, you can't do it without guns on your arms. And you got to have some guns, and you got to be nasty. Had a nice talk the other night with the uh, tone uh, Jones. Wonderful talk with him and why I liked him as far as his chances in the, N- in the NFL at Green Bay. Number one pick. I said, you know, I like you. And he says, why? I said, I watch you play a lot. He says, Booz, you're a nice guy off the field. Here's your girlfriend. I met his girlfriend. He's smiling. Everything's good. I said, because you got a nasty streak in you. He says, Coach, how did you know that? I said, I watch you play. <laughs> I said, I watch you play. If by accident you happen to club somebody or by accident you happen to step on somebody's hand, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? And he sort of smiled at me. He says, I told my girlfriend I'm a different guy on the football field. And I think that that is what you look at the little things and you've got to be able to invest your future with kids. That really means a lot, too. And, and uh, you see that part of them. And uh, congratulations uh, to them, too. I know this is a USC show, but Ron Franklin and uh, both uh, Jones going to Green Bay, I, I, mean, I love to see local kids do really well. And they're uh, both local kids, one from Compton and one from Dorsey High School. So oh, when he came by me, I said, hello, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> I said that to he laughed, and I was with Petros, and he laughed. We were all laughing, and but what a great day it was for those kids. You should see how excited they are. And SFC's kids were excited, too, don't get me wrong. Or all kids were excited, you know? Exciting time for the NFL draft. Well, Coach, we got... One more question for you. This is from Theo. I talked about he had two questions kind of similar. He wanted to move some of Anuka over, but now he's saying, what do you think about moving Zach Banner to defensive end? He's big, powerful, and seems like he would fit well and could command a double team on a regular basis. Everything I hear about him on offense, it says he's a project. I don't think the offense would miss him very much. That's from Theo. Well, you know, I don't think he's, he has the uh... – tenacity or attitude to play defense. You got to be nasty all the time on defense. Uh, he's a big, nice kid. I would say Walker and him have the same personality. Uh, their personality is not one, and this is nothing negative about a kid, but they're still big bodies and they're still kids and they need to get nasty and grow up, and I always use that term, time to cut yourself shaving or whatever it takes to get ready to play. And he's an offensive player, and he'll play offense. I would move him to defense. He doesn't have that, I feel, edge, I guess you should call it, that you could have. Uh, If he could just play like his father, what a great player he'll be. And I think that he'll come along. I'm surprised uh, that he was he's in the third position, third de- spot in the depth chart, that he didn't move faster and, and, and have a better spring. But I, I would make him uh, say, hey, kid, you're going to perform. You're going to go live. I'd make him go live all the time, hit the sled all the time, walk her the same way, where all of a sudden they hate me and they're going to play because of that. They're going to play me, play for me because they respect me, but I'm not even going to care about them. I'm going to say, 
hey, we got to do this together. I need you guys. We need you guys. The team needs both these bookends, whoever those bookends are. They should all play like that in the offensive line as well as the defensive line. The offensive line has got to be aggressive and mean and honorary and uh, get after it. And I, I'll tell you, uh, unless you run the football, and I mean that, it's very difficult to win, at least win big. 6-9 uh, is pretty big for a defensive end, don't you think, Coach? No. No, yeah, yeah. You know, he just <laughs> I just don't think he's mobile enough. And yeah. you know, you wear him down, he can't run anybody down, you know. Gotta run people down. Yeah, I think I mean I think it's good to keep him where he is at tackle and you know he's so big and he's athletic and it's just it's I think good things can happen for him. It's just not happening right away. Not everyone comes in as a freshman and, and starts and things like that, but I, I think you could see he could be a two or three year starter for the Trojans down the road, uh if things work out well for him. But um, all right, Coach. Well, we appreciate you coming on, talking about the draft, talking about the team, talking about your love for the run game. Uh, it's always there. It's never, uh, it's never a secret. It's always apparent that you are a big fan of that. And uh, we'll see. I'll let you know where the, when they uh, throw around the ball this week. If the linemen come out, I will definitely tell you about it on next Monday. I'll tell you what. I'm a great fan of the passing game, too. But you can't believe how much easier it is to pass the football when you can run the football, too. And I think that's what the key is. All right. Well, Coach, thanks again. We appreciate you coming on the show, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Everyone else, back in 30 seconds, talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer, covers USC, been doing it for years and years, over a decade now, and uh, does a great job. What's going on, Dan? How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Kind of quiet, I guess. They're still talking about USC, I guess. Uh, so I guess that's still, still a good thing, not not ideal the way the uh you know the conversation was over the draft weekend but uh you know it's better that they're talking about you than not talking about you better than not you know than ignoring you but uh you would be relevant uh, that only happens for a year yeah you want relevance and and if you read dan's column it's up on the front page of uscfootball.com you can see how usc really kind of dominated the draft i guess you would say the discussion part of the draft, anyway. Yeah. I mean, Matt Markley dominated for three days, you know, for whatever. Good that it, we'll see. I mean, you know, not certainly going to not not pay off right away uh, for him or, you know, for any of them. Basically, I guess Robert Woods probably went closest to where he would have been projected uh, at the start of the year if he said Robert is, you know, down a – down around and T.J. McDonald down around and maybe even Collard down around. But uh, but Matt, you know, down three rounds is 
that's what, that's a tough hit. It's going to be interesting. Uh, and then the, he gets gets drafted by somebody you thought was least likely to draft <laughs> him, which is why you like Chip Kelly in a lot of ways. He's just kind of a independent thinker, and he certainly had the you know experience of seeing what Matt Barkley could do against him the last couple of years. Well, three years, really. You know, Barkley, I think he had a good year as a sophomore uh, against Oregon. So, and I could see how Kelly's kind of got to develop. What happens if, you know, we do run the ball and they do decide to hit a, you know, every NFL team is probably not going to play him if he runs the same Oregon offense. They're probably not going to all play him the way Monty did. You know, they're probably going to actually hit the quarterback. And you may need a lot of quarterbacks, or you might find yourself behind a couple of touchdowns. And uh, then what do you do? So, and I think, you know, Matt was always pretty good uh, at, uh, and we saw a lot more of it at practice maybe than we did in games. But uh, when they kind of ran, you know, no huddle and kind of, you know, let him, uh, make the decisions and, and make the throws at the line, you know, at the line of scrimmage and that. Uh, you know, I thought that was one of the more effective things Mac did. So uh, I think Chip Kelly may may be thinking some probably smart thoughts uh, in doing this, and you know, it gives a challenge to Matt in terms of where he has to be, you know, physically and mentally and all that kind of thing, and, and gets him out of kind of the the comfort zone. If, if you want to call it that, where he's been for, you know, eight years with with uh, USC and modern day, this gets him kind of in a whole new place. And again, if we were kidding, there's no new, no more different place in the world to be playing football than South Philly <laughs> playing for the Eagles than, than than growing up in Newport Beach. I mean, it's a it's as different a world as as you can possibly imagine. The people are different, and the fans are they're different, and. Uh, and that may be, may be really a good thing. So I'm kind of encouraged, you know, for Matt, uh, which is all you can be uh, when you look back and say, oh, man, wish that wouldn't have happened. But now that it has, uh, you, you make the best of it. So just so people know, we'll give a quick recap of the uh, four USC players drafted. The first one was Robert Woods. He went in the ninth pick of the second round, which is the 41st overall pick to the Buffalo Bills. Um, Matt Barkley, uh, I'm sorry, TJ McDonald was the next pick. He was the third round selection, the f- ninth pick of the third round, 71st overall pick. He went to the St. Louis Rams. Um, so you get a, a Trojan coach there. Uh, Matt Barkley went the first pick, uh, on, uh, of the, the fourth rounds. So it was the first pick of the, of the last day of the draft to the Philadelphia Eagles, like Dan just said, and Clint Holmes, his center, uh, former teammate, fourth round as well the 24th pick or 121st overall selection to the indianapolis colts that means no nickel roby no Jawanta starling and i even though cal negretti was tweeting during the first round about uh, he hasn't been selected yet cal negretti the punter wasn't selected west horton curtis mcneil tony burnett uh drew McAllister. none of those guys were actually selected in the nfl draft you know when you do look at the list of people who either dropped or weren't picked, there were some pretty good players. Uh, it does shock you. I mean, Barrett Jones, you know, Outland Trophy winner from Alabama, goes in the fifth round. He goes, who went below uh, below college. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's like, you know, it wasn't just USC kids. I mean, uh, and I know people were like, 
where the Pac-12 only had 28 and the SEC had 63. Heck, the the Big Ten only had 22. I mean, there were some really bad draft performances. You know, I mean, you know, Ohio State and Michigan and what have you. Uh, there are a lot of people and a lot of teams that, that when you look at it, you think, wow, that's not very good. So, uh, you know, Florida State had 11. I'm not sure – you know, by far, you know, the best. I'm not sure they got their money's worth out of their 11, 11 uh, you know, NFL draft picks this year <laughs> in terms of, of what the, you know, what the Seminoles uh, did on the field. So, you know, I had no question USC's performance this year hurt them. But I think what hurt them, hurt them really, not so much seven and six, it was the fact they couldn't, if you were a defensive player for USC and, and you couldn't tackle anybody, how can you know if you watched USC film? It was really ugly. I mean, you you know you played all year without uh, tackling anybody in practice. You weren't going to be able to tackle them in games. And if you put that uh, Oregon film on, how could you how could you draft one of those kids with all the? I mean, the whiffs were unbelievable, and and it's really hard. I mean, working on a a piece about when you look at USC's players in the NFL and, you know, from Troy Palomaro to Clay Matthews to, you know, just, you know, Brian Cushing, Ray Maluga, whatever, right now, um, Matt Khalil, Tyron Smith, they're all physical kids. They're all there because they really are, they play physical. Guys that didn't play quite as physical and say like a Reggie Bush maybe became more of a finesse guy or whatever. It's, it's the, the, the players who you remember from USC who everybody says, you know, this is the kind of player we want, were guys who played physic, you know, with real physicality. And, and that wasn't pretty much anybody on this team this year. It made it really hard, I think. It's like I was thinking it was like a basketball coach going into a year and saying, you know, we've hit a lot of sprained ankles. I think we're going to practice all year without jumping. You know, we'll just wait, <laughs> save the jumping for the game. You know, we'll see if we can see if we can do it when it comes game time. No, you can't. You know, you just can't. And so, if you looked at USC film, and and thanks to the Pac-12 Network, I have gotten a chance to watch a lot of a lot of you know USC games as, as where they do the recap in 60 minutes. And uh, when you watch them now, a couple of months later, three, four months later, whatever, you go, oh, my God, you see things. Maybe you didn't, even, you know, didn't see at the time. And, uh, you know, and, and Matt had a, had a pretty tough year. You see some of the missed throws. I mean, some of the things you just can't do. And some of those missed throws, uh, I mean, that would be the hardest thing if you if you were trying to decide on him and and drafting him or not, the number of throws that didn't go where they were supposed to go. I mean, he had a lot of good throws, but uh, it would have made it hard. It would really have made it hard. It's one of the things I was saying. It was so hard to to advance the draft from a USC angle, just because you really kind of knew what was coming but you didn't want to say because it just, you know, you didn't, these kids have had a tough enough time. You didn't want to look like you were, you know, picking them while they were down. 
because this has been, you know, tough for those kids. USC, I think, kind of let them down. I think they, this last year, uh, they needed to do better by these kids who came back and had been here, you know, the whole time through through the really tough times. And USC, I don't think, gave them any help in getting ready for, for this weekend. So, you know, live and learn. It's... And uh, they'll all have a chance, but, you know, might not be where they wanted to be. Uh, and, you know, they all say, oh, you, you know, it's the next contract that really matters. And I, I guess Aaron Rodgers proved that. He uh, he had one of the longest draft days in history uh, after coming out of Cal and not getting picked up by, you know, Green Bay until, you know, the end of that, I guess it was the end of that first round and didn't get, you know, just sat around and sat around. And then uh, had to sit around behind Brett Favre. And then had to, uh, when he finally got to start, half the people weren't very happy about him getting a start. Uh, so you can persevere, and if you play well enough, you know, and then it's always interesting that this weekend we find out he's, the, you know, the highest-paid player in pro football. So it's possible, but it's up to you now. The, uh, the I, I mean, I love watching the NFL draft. I, I I got to do some work with the NFL Network uh, back in the day when they had a college football show. It was the USC analyst on the show, and it was fun. And um, got to know a lot of those guys like Mike Mayock and uh, Charles Davis and, and some of them. And Mayock's even been on the podcast. We should, we should definitely try to have him on again. But um, And I love his analysis. And, and it's kind of it's kind of fun watching these shows. And some of the things that happen and when they talk about guys maybe going to the first first round and not getting drafted i mean there's so many it's just so it's such a hard thing to predict and and i i think that there's gms out there putting out false information just to you know to, to, and it, it starts perpetuating and and people get a source and they're like, oh they're, they're running with these things that that you know that uh buffalo was gonna you know ryan nassib or whatever at the eighth pick overall yeah. and you know stuff this weird stuff that was kind of going on there and i think Sometimes kids get caught in the crossfire a little bit, and you hear that you could go as high as the number eight pick, and then you drop way down. I mean, it's it's kind of a weird thing. It's fun to watch, but you know there's some just false stuff out there that you you can't trust. Well, and on top of that, you know, a lot of them don't have a clue what they're doing. I mean, if you tried to uh, parse out the uh, New York Jets and their approach to the draft. I mean, it's just, what are they thinking, you know? I mean, uh, you wouldn't want to be thinking the way those guys are thinking, you know? I mean, you just think, yeah, I'm not, I can't figure that out. I mean, I mean, really, the kid from Oregon, I mean, we saw him. What makes him, you know, that high a pick in the first round? You know, Dan Jordan, how does that you know, he's like 240 pounds. And, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, USC played him, uh, you know, three years or whatever in a row, and I'm not sure we remember. I mean, when you look at, uh, you could say, how do USC's kids uh, recover from, say, the, uh, the way they played defense against Oregon? How does Oregon's defense recover from the way they played defense against USC? I mean, uh, it just, it was puzzling. 
I mean, the kid from BYU, from Ghana. Uh, who, does anybody really have any idea whether he's going to make it in the NFL or not with, with his, you know, limited football experience? Uh, I don't know. That's, yeah, everyone, that's the one guy that uh, I did a little, I was tweeting out on day one of the draft of all the people that predict stuff. And I think Mike Mack had the most correct picks. He had nine, like exactly correct. And then mm-hmm. I think uh, Mel Kuyper had eight and McShay had six or seven or something. But I think they all got him right at number five. It was like for some reason they just knew or, or that, that intel was good. And like this guy that a lot of people hadn't heard of was going with the number five pick in the overall dra- in, in the draft. And, and it was it was right on. Well, I think some of those, you, you, you know, somebody in the front office is preparing people for this pick. Because you don't want to make that pick and have your fans say, what? Who? Right. You've got to tip that one off, I think, so that people – You it gives you a chance for the, the pundits to kind of put it out there and talk about him a little bit so that you're not really, you know, catching people totally by surprise who just say, we just did what? Who? I mean, you could tell it. People there, you know, at the draft, the different fan groups and that still had no idea who he was. I mean, not that you could, but, uh, you know, between the competition level and, uh, you know, and, and where he came from, I mean, you obviously can't possibly know whether whether that's a good pick or not. I mean, and that's the other thing. You see people, you know, rating the draft, as somebody said, these are people – who've never seen any of these guys in college, mostly, uh, don't know really what was going on with the team's draft, and they're going to rate how the teams did based on what. I mean, they really, you know, they, they were having trouble getting, you know, their picks right for the draft already, and now they're going to rate them based on on what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think you could say Jeff Fisher – did a pretty nice job, and he was, you know, very often uh, the Rams were included in one of the, you know, top three or so of, you know, these guys did a pretty good job. But I don't think I don't think we know. I don't think. I mean, we can hope it turns out well for Jeff, especially, you know, because he's got uh, TJ. But we don't know. There's just no way you can know. I mean, they have no idea. You know, the high one of the highest profile guys is Matt Barkley. We have no idea what offense they're playing, how they're going to do it, how they're going to – have no idea. This, to, to try to predict based on the little that we know, but I, I, it's, it's the beauty and the genius of the NFL. They keep you talking about them, thinking about them all year long. And somebody did an interesting piece about they've turned a six-month sport into a 12-month sport. Yeah. You know, with the camps and – you know, all the, it's just, it's genius. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're beyond belief how much they get. For example, they benefit probably as much or more from college football as the college football teams do. And they don't have to spend a dime. No. I mean, they're getting every one of these fan groups and all the history and all the stuff these kids did. It like they turn it into NFL stuff. Yeah. None of these kids have played a minute for the NFL. And all these NFL pundits, again, who probably didn't see a whole lot of college football, uh, are 
expounding on all of this, you know, and then they, then they, they've done a great job, for example, co-opting uh, college football with the combine and basically turning a kid's uh, entire college career into four events at the combine lasting about, uh, you know, a minute and 30 seconds. Uh, but they're geniuses. There's no question about it. They're marketing geniuses. I mean, when you look at that Radio City Music Hall and you see all those people there, what are they doing? Who are all those people? It's like 3,000 people on the stage. What, just try to, I, I, I try to even imagine the credentialing for that event. You know, like, let's see, you're the 12th person who will shake their hand after after they get drafted and you're the guy that gives them the hat and you're the guy that, <laughs> you know, stops them right here at the curtain. And I don't know. It's uh, they are so good at what they do though. It's certainly a, a crazy, it's, it's a spectacle now. It's tur- now it's a three day event. Uh, it's you know, spread it out as much as you can. People follow, you know, these players from college to pro. So it's like built in fan bases, but one, one guy, that wasn't drafted. One U.S. former USC player that wasn't drafted that I wanted to talk to you about, um, uh, Mark Sanchez, <laughs> had an oh, strange situation when the the Jets, who last year picked up uh, Tim Tebow, which everyone felt this is going to be a disaster, a distraction, and it pretty much was. Who was released? Now he was actually he's yeah. actually released, so he's off. But they did draft a quarterback in the second round, and I, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. Well, I, I went to the Elite 11 this this year in Redondo Beach, and I was surprised how much I wasn't that impressed with Geno Smith. I, uh, he was smaller than I thought he would, he would be. And I know, you know, people have had issues with his, um, you know, willingness to get into the playbook and things like that. So... It, it, it certainly looked like a reach. It looked like, um, you know, well, obviously last year with Tebow, that was a giant reach. This year, you know, it looks like they're fighting to get on the back page of the, uh, you know, New York Post and the New York Daily News uh, more than they're trying to, you know, build their team. Or, you know, when you, you bring in a rookie like that, in that high-profile situation or that much pressure where the kind of pressure that, you know, has been tougher, you know, Mark Sanchez to handle and Tebow couldn't handle it. You know, obviously, you know, whether they were, you know, given the, you know, com- you know, players around them or the offense or whatever to handle it. Uh, you know, Mark, after, you know, handling it pretty darn well the first, you know, couple of years, uh, kind of went in a different direction as the team went in a different direction. But they asked a rookie to come in there and basically say, He's a co-starter, and then have all the SDN guys saying Sanchez is gone. Um, that just seems like a recipe for absolute failure uh, <laughs> for Geno Smith. I mean, God, that looks like – I mean, he, it looked like it was interesting watching him. They, they must have convinced him, please stay around. We'll make sure somebody drafts you earlier enough that it will be worth your while, so please stay around for day two. And it looked like Geno Smith was like half happy I'm drafted. And then realizing, uh, but it was the Jets, you know, as he walked up thinking, is this the good news or the bad news? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that's a 
That's a really good question. Uh, you know, I mean, think how many questions that kid's going to have to answer. If you ever been to one of their, you know, practices with the New York media, uh, oh my goodness. I mean, just what his life is going to be like. Now, maybe that'll toughen him up. Maybe it'll force him to whatever. But, you know, just as often they kind of, you know, chew you up and spit you out as uh, as they, you know, strengthen you and, and stiffen you up and all that. So so we'll see. And not having anybody can block for you probably, you know, it, you know is, is the way, you know, the well, USC season turned out if you're not really efficient and strong and, and aggressive and, and you have breakdowns, you know. And, uh, you know, you look at the Jets, what they've got coming back in, in front of a quarterback, and where aren't they going to have, you know, a breakdown? <laughs> uh, I, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's, but, but at least Mark – you know, kept USC. It's the second year in a row. Mark has um, kept USC high on the uh, draft uh, mention list of current players. Uh, so last year he got, you know, getting compared to the Tebow situation, how that was going to affect him, and with them getting Tebow and free agency. And uh, they always want to talk about New York anyway. So uh, USC kids are at least in the middle of that discussion. Good or bad, mostly bad. Good. <laughs> but they're there. Um, well, we had uh, there was one uh, other question I wanted to. You're the expert on this, so I wanted to to send us off with that. JJB wrote in. He said, "Glad the April Fool's announcement was just a joke. You had me worried." And he says, "What's the latest on the Todd McNair lawsuit? What do you think? Uh, where do you think that is going? Do you think that the press will ever pick up?" on the idea that USC got the shaft while all the other college violations, with the exception of Penn State, are getting a hand slap. This one is for Dan Weber. And it's a great show, JJB. Uh, JJB, uh, the problem we've got is, they, and they said when it went on appeal, there was always a chance it could take up to a year. And that was before they, they kind of uh, uh, took a budget hit for the California judiciary. Now, we know that you know, it took like it seemed like well over a month to walk the uh, walk the appeal up to um, up the street to the California State you know Court of Appeals from the uh, L.A. District Court. Uh, the thing I've not been able to find out from any legal expert, and we've asked a lot, and we you know gotten involved with some other media people who trying to figure out is there a place where the media could enter the case at this point in time and try to get those emails released that are they're basically part of the record and the judge had said that he wanted them released in 30 days after the um the, the hearing in november and then the ncaa appealed i think the ncaa is coming down to the place where they they need to finish their appeal up and i think they hadn't finished it the last we heard last week um and it's on. It's two parts. I mean, the one part is um, just suppressing the emails or keeping them, you know, private for now. The second part is uh, they're they're appealing the decision that that the case would not be dismissed on this anti-slap motion that is unique to California, kind of a freedom of speech, a specious argument that the NCA made about. Uh, 
well, it's just a freedom of speech thing. We can say anything we want about any. You know, well, you can't. And that's, it, that wasn't the purpose to protect some big organization. It was the purpose to protect an individual going against a big organization from being, uh, uh, you know, hounded out, you know, and then and, and an organization with a lot of resources that could make a, an individual give up a case uh, against them. So the NCA is misusing misusing it they're not going to win that one but whether they can you know decide on the emails first and release those i don't know i i think usc is, is essentially uh totally blown uh their participation in the case i mean one of the differences is in every other case those schools aggressively defended their interest and usc i know they say well we appealed we did everything we could and we lost, and we just decided to move on. Uh, no, you didn't do everything. You could have done more, and they could have spoken out more. You know, speaking out is doing something, and USC did, chose to not do that and chose to say things like these are honorable people. It was obvious the people who made the decisions on the Committee on Infractions were not honorable people. Uh, the little bit that we've seen in the email shows you, and USC knew this from – getting lied to so that they couldn't, you know, have uh, any presence at the um, uh, Lloyd Lake, uh, you know, interview with the NCAA. They knew the NCAA was lying to them. The NCAA finally, you know, admitted it. Um, you know, all the things that we've seen in all these other cases now, that all the, you know, misconduct by the NCAA, you know, they probably did all of it in one case, in the USC case. And USC had to know that, but... Uh, chose not to act. So USC made it hard. For example, uh, we did everything on our own. Did we get a, a single piece of information or help or, uh, you know, a quote, anything from somebody at USC? No. No. <laughs> we were not, not even, you know, can you imagine another school where they would have been basically against you doing what we did about McNair? Uh, but that was USC's position. So, and now, you know, I've tried to, you know, talk to him about why don't you want to get out ahead on the uh, McNair emails, for example? Why haven't you ever petitioned the NCA saying you need to know what's in those emails? You can't make a, uh, you know, fair. You've got kids losing scholarships. You've got kids being penalized who were in grade school at the time uh, for what may not now be. Uh, you know, a fair verdict. Uh, and, you know, with Miami asking for, you know, they want to get off for time served, which is basically nothing. You know, when Oregon says, yeah, we bought a player or so, a couple of guys out of Texas, yeah, we just, you know, sent whatever it was, twenty-five, thirty-five $35,000 down to buy them. Yeah, but you know what? One scholarship, that's about all we need to lose. And no bull bands. Why would we do that? And, <laughs> That's like that's what they're negotiating, and they've been allowed to negotiate. I mean, did, did USC get a chance to negotiate back and forth for you know almost a year with the NCAA? I don't think so. Uh, they had no idea what was coming, and uh, you know, so treated unbelievably fairly and said, "Thank you, sorry, we you know too bad with gosh that's going to hurt a lot of kids, but we'll be okay." And uh, so USC made it almost impossible for the national media to take up for USC at all. I mean, you know, the, the tide has turned. I mean, basically, there's nobody in the national media now who doesn't think USC got screwed 
big time. And, you know, it's taken four years. And we were the only ones in J-Bellis, I think it was the two of us, and probably Kirk, um, uh, I, I would think Kirk Herbstreit's initial reaction was that that was, that USC got screwed. But he didn't go into it, you know, too much. But other than that, nobody was saying that. Well, now everybody says it. But had USC aggressively, say, gone to the NCAA convention and said, look, if you don't give us those emails, we're going to stand up at the convention and we're going to have Larry Scott here, and Larry's going to be right here with us, standing here. Larry, you're going to be standing right next to Pat Hayden, and we're going to request that the NCAA uh, live up to its standards, live up to the standards that requires all the schools, and be transparent and release. The NCAA knows what's in those emails. They've been released to the court. They've been released to McNair's lawyers. Release them to USC now or we will figure out a way to get them released. And you just leave it out there. Whether you have a, a way that's absolutely, you know, clear cut, I don't know. But there's no reason to not have the NCA under that kind of pressure uh, to do the right thing. And just the pressure of that might allow the NCA, you know, to say, we want to make the USC case go away. How would we do that? Well, USC's probably been under sanctions, if you figure, that the last year or so before they got penalized, easily, maybe two, they've been under penalty for about six years now. Uh, the NCAA could easily, easily say, we've looked at it, there are enough problems here, uh, USC, it's over. You know, you go to 85 scholarships next year, you go back to, uh, you know, you're uh, 25 a year, and... Uh, and most of those statistical things that we hit you with, we'll give them back to you. Your records, the whatever, we probably went overboard. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, those other schools didn't pay those penalties with, with crimes that certainly seemed like they went through the school and through the athletic department and through the coaches much more uh, clearly connected to the school than the USC situation was. And everybody knows it. Uh, but until USC, I think, adopts a more aggressive posture, I mean, why isn't USC petitioning the court in uh, California to say, we have an interest. Those are public record now. And we're a public institution. We're the largest private institution in California or in, uh, in L.A., and we have an absolute uh, interest in this particular case, and we don't think the case could, you know, we don't think those emails should, uh, should stay secret. And you think that wouldn't make good positive news if Pat Hayden came out and, you know, if they filed some kind of, you know, intervention with the um, state appeals court and said, look, it's been since November. The judge said 30 days. Uh, was all that they could be sealed originally, we think they should be unsealed, and we need to see them. And they're doing real damage. Like a kid like Abe Markowitz, you know, can't come back right now unless he gets a waiver. Uh, after five years at USC, can't finish up at USC, even though he's gotten his sixth year of eligibility. Uh, you know, the, the incoming freshmen who were, you know, able to um, able to enter early who couldn't. 
because there wasn't a, you know availability for him under what might now be uh, unfair penalties. So I think USC had a way into the case and had a way of influencing the national dialogue about this case. And now when you read people talk about all the things the NCAA did wrong in the, the Miami case or the UCLA case, they've almost forgotten about the USC case because USC's kind of allowed them to forget about it. It's, it's, uh, it's troubling, troubling. Certainly is, Dan. Well, you're the, the expert on this topic for sure. I know we some people don't like bringing it up, but we get questions a lot, so we want to try to get to those questions. And uh, Well, you know what? I think they will like it if the emails come out. I mean, and most people think they can't not come out. I mean, I guess there are ways that, that that could happen. One would think the NCAA is probably not in a great position unless they get total cooperation from USC on this. And, uh, and we'll see. Uh, uh, it's it's troubling to to think that USC hasn't fought to get those emails um, get those emails released. Uh, you know, saying let it go uh, is not, I think, the right way. It's not even fair to the NCA. The NCA needs people holding it to its own standards, and when the NCA is allowed to get away with all the things that the NCA enforcement and uh, investigative people have gotten away with over the years, you end up with a situation where they're now in total disarray and total breakdown and people getting fired and people leaving and uh, there's no credibility whatsoever. Uh, the NCA needs people to aggressively pursue the uh, their, you know, the interest of fairness and the interest of, uh, you know, living up to their own rules. And when USC didn't do that strongly enough, when they made it clear they weren't going to go further, uh, I don't think they did the NCAA any favors either. Look what's happened to the NCAA since the USC case where that was allowed to be, this is how we're going to leave it. You know, you did us terribly wrong. You lied about what you did. You, uh, you know, you weren't uh, honest about where you were going with this case. You had another, other agendas, obviously, at work. It had nothing to do with the rules. You wanted to whack USC, and you, you fit the facts to, and I put facts in quotes, <laughs> you fit the facts to, you know, uh, to fit your uh, agenda, and that, USC had to respond to that, and he had to say, we're never going to allow you to get away with that. This is unfair for us. It's unfair for our student-athletes. It's unfair for our fans. It's unfair for all of college football, and it's unfair uh, to the NCAA in the long run. And uh, we're not a good member of the NCAA if we allow the NCAA to act in a way that we know is, uh, is, is, is obviously uh, – uh, you know, they were being deceptive and they were being dishonest and they weren't living up to any of their own rules. And uh, USC said, eh, we'll give you a pass. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, we'll do better... that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm losing my voice, so we should probably end the show. <laughs> okay. Thanks again, Dan, for uh, coming on. Thanks. Okay, Ryan. Thank right. you. <laughs> Bye. Everyone else, thanks for uh, tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Well, my voice still hangs on and we'll uh, talk to you next week.
listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on parastylepodcast.com or search for Parastyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.